This morning we'll be back in uh, Joshua chapter 7, uh, finishing up the chapter. Uh, last week we talked about the defeat of the Israelites at Ai, uh, coming off uh, their victory against the fortified, uh, walled city of Jericho. Uh, it was quite a shock to the people of Israel uh, that they were so handily defeated uh, by the, the smaller city of Ai. And, and from a, a practical military perspective, you know, this shouldn't have happened. And, and Joshua and his captains, to their credit, uh, instead of regrouping and, and trying to come up with a different strategy, a different plan, uh, they decide, as we read uh, last week, they decided to seek the Lord. Yeah, some of it was in form of complaint, but, uh, but then uh, God revealed to them uh, the real reason for the defeat. Uh, Israel has sinned, uh, we got from verse 10. And then God further explained in verses 13 to 15 that there are devoted things in your midst. Uh, these uh, devoted things were stolen from God himself uh, as they were to go into his treasury uh, for his use at his discretion. And God also revealed that one man was responsible uh, one man, yet he, uh, like everyone else, uh, is an integral part of a, a covenantal community uh, in which all are responsible uh, to each other and just as importantly uh, to the covenant itself. And the covenant is between a people uh, chosen by God who will bless them with land and with prosperity, but also as uh, we, we, I keep reminding us, uh, with the privilege of being a people called of God to be his witness to the world and, and through whom God would uh, bring salvation. And the people, as part of their covenant, uh, only needed to trust and obey God. So it, it was a community of faith. And just as we're a community of faith, and, um, but we're a community of faith with a new covenant. The new covenant is the promise that God makes uh, with humanity uh, that he will forgive sin and, and restore fellowship with those whose hearts are turned toward him in faith. And of course, Christ is the mediator uh, of this new covenant and his death on the cross as we read in, in Luke 22:20, uh, 20, is the basis of that promise, of that covenant. In today's passage, though, someone in the covenantal community, in their covenantal community, has broken faith, as verse 1 of, chapter, of the chapter says. And then here, as we continue, uh, God will dictate to Joshua a process through which the offending person will be identified uh, and then punished, but then things will be set right again. So I'll pray and then I'll read the passage. Lord, give us uh, understanding as we read your word. Uh, help us to grow in faith, Lord, towards you. Help us to grow in uh, fellowship uh, with you and in one another, Lord. And as we say, uh, let us not leave today unchanged, Lord. Our hearts, our minds, our souls, Lord, penetrate our stubborn hearts this morning with your word. We thank you, and we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 
So Joshua 7, verses 16 through 26. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near, tribe by tribe. And the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought near the clans of Judah. And the clan of Zarahites was taken. And he brought near the clan of the Zarahites man by man. And Zabdi was taken. And he brought near his household man by man. And Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him. And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent the messengers, and they ran to the tent. And behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel, and they laid them down before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak and the barren of gold, and his sons and daughters and his oxen and donkeys and sheep and his tent, and all that he had. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor. Praise God for his word. So after a day of consecration and an opportunity for the culprit to come forward and confess, uh, Joshua begins the process of identifying the person who stole from God. And you can imagine the tension in the crowd as each step revealed a newer and, and more narrow layer of the community structure. Uh, first, the tribe of Judah is identified. And you can just imagine the other tribes uh, breathing a sigh of relief. And, and then the specific clan of the, Zahari, the Zaharites is identified. And then the family of Zabdi. And then finally, the man, Achan. And during this whole process, while the others fearfully wait, Achan remains silent. Joshua approaches Achan, and only now, at Joshua's request, does Achan confess. Joshua's words are firm, but compassionate. My son, this is in the New Living Translation, my son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, by telling the truth. Make your confession and tell me what you have done. Don't hide it from me. 
And Aiken's confession is, is, is both very revealing and, and very instructive for us. Verse 21, when I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them. And I took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent. I saw, I coveted, I took. I saw the beautiful cloak. I saw the silver and the gold, and I coveted them, so I took them. Temptation becomes action here. And, And if those words sound familiar to you, they actually mirror the words and actions of Eve in the temptation in the garden. We see in Genesis 3, But the serpent said to the woman, You will surely not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Eve saw the fruit. Eve desired or coveted the fruit. And then Eve took the fruit. Temptation became action. Judas's lust for money led to Jesus' arrest and then to his own regret and then suicide. We read about that at the end of Matthew. Again, temptation became action. So the culprit is finally revealed. After a day of agonizing suspense, Achan confesses after he's identified. The soldiers run to his tent. They find the goods. They bring the goods to Joshua and the people, and the soldiers lay the items out before the Lord. The implication is that the ark of the Lord was there as well, and the goods are brought back to their rightful owner. Commentators are split on the details of what happens next. It's clear, at the very least, that Achan is executed and then burned. Uh, Commentators disagree as to whether Achan's family and all his possessions are stoned and then burned as well. The, The pronouns he and them are confusing, whether they're referring to the them as referring to the goods or it's referring to the people. Uh, perhaps Aiken's family was uh, complicit in the crime. After all, how could they have not noticed that there were things buried under their own family tent? Either way, the punishment was quick, it was complete, and the punishment was handed out by the covenantal community. Stoning, and then burning. And even if Achan's family weren't executed with him, they were certainly present 
at the execution as part of the community. And perhaps, perhaps we have trouble reconciling the, the violent and extensive nature of God's judgment because, well, we don't see sin the way God sees sin. I mean, God sees all sin as an act of treason, an act of rebellion. And here, one of God's own people blatantly breaks God's covenant. Our problem, you know, sinners that we are, is that we, we just don't think that breaking God's covenant is that big of a deal. Remember that part of God's punishment for this sin, this breach of faith, this breaking of covenant, was, was not only the death of Achan, and, and most likely his family as well, but also the defeat of the army and the death of the, the 36 men. Remember those guys? I mean, those guys uh, were executed in a sense as well. And perhaps we can understand the severity of God's wrath here because, well, sin doesn't really bother us all that much. But if sin isn't that big of a deal, then why does God launch an all-out war against the people of Canaan to purify the land so His people might be holy as God is holy? If sin's not that big of a deal, then how do you explain what happened to Ananias and Sapphira? In Acts 5, we're told how Ananias and his wife both lied about what they had given to the church. Peter, through the Holy Spirit, found that they were guilty. They were guilty of covetousness, hypocrisy, the desire to praise, the desire for the praise of men. And these sins simply could not be tolerated with the establishment of the new church. And, and once their guilt was established, both of them fell down dead at Peter's feet. And not by Peter's hand. It was by God's hand. And this, this sad story of Ananias and Sapphira, it, it, it's not some obscure incident from the Old Testament you know, regarding a violation of, of Mosaic law. We can't attribute it to just that. This, this occurred in the first century church with new believers in Jesus Christ. The story is a reminder to us today that God sees the heart, that He hates sin, and that He is concerned for the purity of His church. And how is that any different than Achan's situation? How is that any different than now? Uh, God doesn't typically strike people dead. Thank God for that. Uh, but he can use other means uh, to expose and deal with sin, especially in the church. If sin, if sin isn't that big of a deal, then why does Jesus say this in Matthew 5? He says these shocking words. If your right eye causes you to sin, and he's talking about lust here in the context of purity in marriage, he says if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better for that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown 
into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, lust in action, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Again, the, the context is being faithful in marriage, and obviously Jesus is exaggerating here to make a point. He's saying, yes, the law does say you shall not commit adultery, but I'm, I'm telling you that just looking at another woman with lustful intent is adultery. It's serious. It's sin. He's saying sin is serious, and dealing with sin takes extreme measures, he's saying, sometimes violent measures. And the extreme and violent punishment of Achan and, and likely his family were in proportion to the seriousness of the sin. I mentioned last week that four of the Ten Commandments were broken just in that one incident. Uh, offending the holy name of God, stealing, lying, coveting. But that's just the sin of one man incurring the wrath of God. What kind of wrath is required by God to deal with the sin of all of humanity? What kind of wrath is required by God to deal with a people, humanity, who are at times so cruel, so corrupt, so rebellious, so violent, so prideful, so ignorant, that they would strip naked, physically and verbally abuse, mock, and ultimately crucify on a cross a completely innocent man. The irony, the cruel yet incredible irony is that the innocent man, the mocked, the beaten, the bloodied man on the cross was God Himself. God Himself came to earth in Jesus Christ, the Son. He came to save us, not to condemn us, as the Scripture says. And in exact proportion to the whole entire sin of humanity, God poured out His wrath on His Son, taking on Himself the punishment that we deserved. Jesus didn't deserve it. He was innocent. He was perfect. He's, he's God. Achan deserved everything he got. Achan, representing the people, he deserved to be killed. Jesus, representing his people, didn't deserve to be killed. 1 Peter 2.22 says that Jesus committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. In Achan's case and in Jesus' case, we see the seriousness of sin and the lengths to which God will go in dealing with sin. Both Achan and Jesus were executed to turn away God's wrath. As we read in verse 26 of today's passage, then the Lord turned from His burning anger. The Lord turned from His burning anger. Now it's easy for us to compress the uh, 1,600 years or so of the Bible and, and come away with a picture of an angry and wrathful God. It's true, God gets angry. But it's a righteous anger. 
And his wrath is holy, and it's never without cause, never without just cause. God gets angry at times, and rightfully so. But God is not an angry God. The psalmist says, But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. It's so true. I know it is in my life. Chapter 7 ends with the people raising yet another monument. And they raised over him, Achan, a great heap of stones that remains to this day. And therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor. The name of the place, Achor, means trouble. It's actually a kind of wordplay on Achan's name. Achan's name means troubler. And that heap of stones will call to mind the story of Achan and how he brought trouble on the people and how the Lord brought trouble on him, as Joshua said in verse 25. In Joshua, we already have monuments to God's saving help at the uh, Jordan and also here to God's uh, destructive wrath. And so it is throughout the history of salvation. And we as God's people need to pay attention to both. Both the memorials or monuments to God's saving help, but also to his destructive wrath. But we also need to realize that God is capable of turning the valley of trouble into a door of hope. In Hosea chapter 2, God speaks of a future Israel and says there in verse 15, There I will give her back her vineyards. He's going to restore Israel. And I will make the valley of Achor, the valley of trouble, a door of hope. Hosea 2.15 Our merciful God turns trouble into hope. He takes the brutal and violent death of His Son and turns it into an incredible act of substitution. Jesus taking on our sins. Jesus bearing the punishment that we deserve. Satisfying God's righteous demands which we could never do. And then this troubling defeat is turned into a great victory as Jesus is resurrected three days later, defeating sin and defeating death itself. Jesus is our, our door of hope. He's the only door of hope. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, I know it's weird. I want you to close your eyes for a minute. Just bear with me. Do you see the picture there? Do you see the door? It's the way. It's the way to the Father. It's the way to God. And it's open. And it takes a little step of faith to walk through that door. To walk through that door to be reconciled back to God, to have peace 
beyond understanding, to have joy amidst tribulation. It's the way to eternity with Christ. It's through that door. It's through Jesus. You can open your eyes. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that you have provided a door of hope out of the valley of trouble. And you are that door. As the hymn goes, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Jesus, help us to love you. Help us to trust you this morning and as the gaze go on. And we thank you. Amen.